0: you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. In the eight plus years of Autism Personal Coach, I've had the opportunity to coach lots of adults and And I think, especially in the last few years, there's been a growing number of people uh, we've supported over the age of 50. That's definitely made me want to learn more about the experiences and supports that are out there for older autistic adults. That's why I'm so happy today to have a conversation with Eric Enlick, who is the author of the book, Older Autistic Adults, In Their Own Words, The Lost Generation. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Eric, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Doug. Wanted to start off and learn where does your story in the autistic community begin?
1: Sure. Well, it's two events, really. You know, sometimes something happens to you that changes your future forever. And sometimes an event can change your past. And I've experienced both. The first one was in 1995 when my son was two and sorry 1999 my my son was two and a half years old and after evaluation pediatric neurologist that my wife and I were seeing looked at us and said your son has autistic disorder and in an instant everything changed and it was one of the few moments in my life when I knew right at that moment my life just changed forever and it did and and it threw us into the world of autism, and early intervention, special education, and so on. And that really uh, dominated, dominated our life for quite some time. And then 15 or 16 years later, we were sitting at an autism conference, uh, my wife and I, and we were listening to the keynote speaker, uh, Sarah Hendricks, who's very entertaining and articulate, and after working for the field in Working in the autism field for years, writing books, and helping clients, even getting a master's in autism studies, she discovered in her 40s that she herself was on the spectrum too. And as we listened to this, it was like, hold on a second, a professional working in the field who, who's on the spectrum? And at that moment, my wife and I both realized that there was someone else in the family besides our son who was autistic, that namely me. <laughs> And so, ever since then, uh, it's completely changed my life, um, changed my professional direction. I focus now, uh, you know, I sort of let my my autistic special interests uh, take over, uh, and and one of them is actually autism. So, you know, like I co wrote this this book on autism, and another one is college. And so, I work with autistic students, uh, helping them uh, apply to college. Those are that, that's the the short version.
0: <laughs> For me, one area that I want to learn more about in terms of the autistic experience is the experience of older autistic adults. And, and in terms of that, you are one of the three authors of older, yes. older autistic adults, in their own words, the lost generation. So just wanted to start out and learn where did the idea to, to, to write uh, such a book come about?
1: sure so i was the the second person who signed on it wasn't my idea it was the first authors uh, and that's wilma wake and um the three of us are all older autistic adults and she had read a couple of books by philip wiley uh one of them very late diagnosis of asperger's syndrome another one the nine degrees of autism which is kind of describes the the uh, stages of adjusting to autism diagnosis that people go through and she was kind of curious, like, does this model of, of change, of development, really apply to, you know, it's just a kind of a theoretical model. Does it really apply in the real world to autistic adults? And was curious, you know, what is the experience of other autistic adults around the world? So she created, with Philip Wiley, uh, this long survey, over 120 questions, and started administering it uh, to, to adults or letting them uh, self take the survey. And then I signed on to the project. Wilma and I met at a a group for mental health providers on the spectrum. I'm a clinical psychologist. And uh, I was excited about the book and we talked about it and she wanted me to help out and and I helped get the survey widely distributed throughout the U.S. and the U.K. especially, um, which is where most of our respondents are from. And then we uh, wrote the book together and we brought in Rob Lagos who um, really helped a lot with the statistics.
0: Now, I think... Probably at this point, the majority of people that I've interviewed here on Autism Stories were diagnosed as adults. Uh, So I'm interested, was there a pattern that kind of emerged in terms of the experience of being assessed as autistic from those that you ended up interviewing? Uh,
1: Definitely. Yeah, lots of patterns, uh, which we describe in the book in great detail, some, um, and, and the book is a combination of individual stories, you know, personal accounts, as well as kind of um, summaries of, of the group of 150 adults that we that we surveyed and interviewed. And so a couple of patterns. Uh, one is virtually, this is again adults over 50 on the spectrum, virtually everyone was diagnosed late, in most cases I think after age 40. Uh, you know, I, I kind of laugh when someone says, Oh, my child was diagnosed late at 16, <laughs> because uh, virtually all of us were diagnosed quite a bit later in life. And that's because um, autism wasn't really known about when we were growing up, especially the subset of people on the spectrum with average to above average intelligence. Yeah, so one of the patterns is, is we were diagnosed late, another is that women had more trouble getting diagnosed Um, and i know this from you know personal experience too talking with lots of older women on the spectrum and so although most folks in the group were diagnosed by professionals more than three quarters um, among women more of them relatively speaking they were more likely to have been self-diagnosed or self-identified than the men were
0: that that was a couple of patterns was there a general feeling about light, how life changed for people after they were diagnosed, whether it was self-diagnosed or through medical diagnosis? Yeah,
1: definitely. And fortunately, it's, it's mostly good news, um, and we do document this in, in detail, what are, what are the changes that folks went through. In fact, you know, a couple of the questions we asked were, you know, when you were diagnosed, what did you feel? And you went with multiple choice answers. And then uh, in the year after diagnosis, how did your life change? And then also, you know, asking people kind of how they feel about autism at this point in their lives. And the, the most common reaction by far that people had after diagnosis was was surprise, uh, Sorry, relief. Um, and excitement was another one. Um, but relief stood out by far as being the most common reaction. Um, and then the most Common reactions uh, over the next year were, you know, feeling better about themselves, people feeling better about themselves, feeling more positive, feeling more positive about autism. So accepting themselves, feeling like they finally understood themselves, lots of positive changes. But, you know, that being said, I kind of saw the group as being split into two groups, roughly. Um, The vast majority, as I described, being relieved, feeling better about themselves. And then a small portion, kind of getting stuck in that process of adjusting to the diagnosis. So whereas many of us kind of whatever shock we might have felt at first accepted it and incorporated it in a positive way, some people seem to get kind of stuck and and bitter and negative and and never kind of come to a peace with it and feel just, you know, uh, very negatively about their relationships and their life experiences. So all of us had challenges growing up, but most of us, felt better after diagnosis
0: the people you interviewed in the book grew up in a time that there were not a lot of support groups and there weren't much much school-based interventions Uh, we've heard for the longest time how important early intervention is Um, how how did the people that you interviewed um, feel um, in regards to how not having these supports affected their childhood
1: yeah, great question. Well, I would say there was a handful of people who saw it as a good thing. Um, a very small number of people who made comments along the lines of, you know, I think it was good that I was in a regular classroom and I wasn't segregated and it sort of taught me to adjust to, you know, the, uh, the mainstream world and so on. I would say a much more common reaction was feeling kind of sad that, that services weren't available back then, that um, most of us were bullied virtually none of us got any special services or programs or assistance, and people weren't understood as children. So they were, again, bullied, um, just sort of forced to to try to fit in, deal with things that they may have been very uncomfortable with, like being on sports teams or trying to engage in group activities, speaking in class, whatever it might be, lots of things that were very challenging. For the most part, people felt like, oh, if only I knew about this about myself younger, if only there was, you know, help and understanding and support younger, life would have been so much easier growing up. That being said, people did feel like, you know, at this point in their lives, they had adjusted and gotten to a much better place.
0: Talking about those, you know, the people you interviewed, you know, over the age of 50, um, did you get a sense from them that if their lives um, have improved? or Are they they happier?
1: Uh, Yes, absolutely. Uh, And we actually look at this in in some detail, what changes people had after age 50. So, you know, just to step back for a second, again, I'm a psychologist, so I have some some awareness of kind of the the literature at large. And in, in general, people tend to have more life satisfaction in midlife. It's a little bit different from what the A stereotype might be, you know, people think, oh, your best time in your life is like when you're young and you're in college or in your 20s. And then when you're older, you have all these responsibilities and stress. And, you know, the reality, uh, again, in in the general population is somewhat different, that people actually tend to be happier in midlife and older um, up to a point in, in life where often they've kind of accomplished a lot of the things they want. They have more financial security. Their kids are grown up. They have fewer responsibilities. So that's sort of a trend in the general population. That being said, um, in this group specifically, people we absolutely saw lots of positive changes after 50, with people being uh, less likely to be suicidal, less likely to be on medication for depression, more likely to have just positive experiences overall, personally and interpersonally. So there were a lot of um, positive things that we noted, and we we go into some detail about that. Uh, Being more, in in addition to what I mentioned, you know, less likely to take medication, less likely to feel suicidal. Um, People were also more likely to say that they celebrated their differences rather than, you know, trying to hide them. Most of us have sort of camouflaged or masked our differences. Or or learn to try to appear more neurotypical, whereas people after 50 are more likely to sort of accept themselves and say, hey, this is who I am. I'm fine with being different. More self-acceptance, more kind of turning outward and helping others, connecting to the autism community, having autistic friends, feeling like this is part of my identity, I want to give back. Um, And also suggests sort of moving further along these so-called nine degrees of autism different to a different
0: stage of development. We've certainly come a long way for in terms of support for autistic people, but I think especially for adults, we have a long way to go. So what do you see as supports that are critical, particularly for older autistic adults, those 50 and older, um, as we move forward?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's a a lot. You know, there is so little for autistic adults, not just 50 and older. Uh, my, my son is um, almost 24, and there there aren't uh, really enough supports and services for young adults either. There's lots of services for school age children, and then when they hit that sort of cliff or wall, as some people like to call it, at 21, 22 and age out of services, there are not nearly enough services. Uh, housing being a really big one, whether it's subsidized housing or housing where people can get supports to live independently, support groups. So I happen to be in new England where the Asperger autism network is lots of support groups through that organization. But I think, you know, much of the rest of the country and the rest of the world lacks those support groups and just kind of understanding in general, because again, we weren't really seen or understood for who we were when we were growing up. So we're not, we're still struggling to kind of be seen and understood as, as older adults.
0: Now for those that want to learn more about and and possibly purchase older autistic adults in their own words, the lost generation, how would they go about doing so? Well
1: uh, I think if you Google older autistic adults and the first author who's Wilma Wake you'll find it pretty quickly but uh, you can order directly from the publisher their website is aapcautismbooks.com. That's aapcautismbooks.com. I think it used to stand for Asperger Autism Publishing mm-hmm. Company, but I think it's just called AAPC uh, Autism Books now. So uh, you can if you go to their website, it, you know, it has our latest arrivals, you'll see our book smack in the middle of the page. Um, there's both a hard copy and an ebook. And if you forget all that, but you remember my name, um, you, you can reach out to me and I can direct folks to it and um, people can reach me at Eric Eric at topcollegeconsultants.com. So those are a couple of ways. Mm.
0: Now, Eric, beyond uh, being an author of, of this book, you had talked at the big be- earlier about um, your work with college students. Can why don't you share a little bit about about that?
1: Yeah, so I uh, primarily high school students um, applying to college and occasionally college students applying to grad school um, and I work with students worldwide who most of whom have learning differences or emotional challenges, the largest number being uh, autism and uh, help them understand you know if they're ready for college, what kind of supports they might need in college, what would be a good, a set of colleges for them to apply to, help them go through the process of the applications, the essays, finding scholarships, and so on. And because I'm really immersed in the autism world, I'm finding internships and scholarships and and college readiness programs and all kinds of services really tailored to this group that most people don't know about. And, um, you know, being autistic myself and being an autism parent, I really understand and connect with these students who feel very comfortable working with them, whereas a lot of people just don't really connect or don't quite know what, how to proceed with them.
0: Well, Eric, I thank you so much for your time. Thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Doug. Thanks so much to Eric for the conversation. To learn more about Eric's book, Older Autistic Adults, in their own words, The Lost Generation, and purchase it, check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. If you would like to learn beyond this podcast how Autism Personal Coach can help you to reduce your daily overwhelm and to get the things you want in your life, then book a Zoom call with me today. A link to book a call can be found in the podcast description of this episode. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. And we would also really appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. On next week's episode of Autism Stories, we will have a conversation about being autistic and having dissociative identity Disorder. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.